going to look at the first three verses right now when we'll be looking at John 1, 1 through 28 tonight. Uh, the the uh, plan is to be doing, we'll do a Bible study. Uh, largely, it will be a Bible study. And then when we get to the third point of the sermon, we're going to preach a little bit. So uh, get your Bibles ready, get your thumbs ready. Don't put those Bibles away. We're going to be turning all over the Scriptures if you're still learning your way around the Bible and you can't keep up, that's okay. Uh, it's okay for you just to close your Bible and just listen. Uh, but those of you that know your Bible well, uh, we're going to be using them uh, quite a bit tonight. John 1, look with me at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made title of the message this evening is this, Understanding Who Jesus Is. The book of John is one of the most uh, cherished and loved books of the entire Bible. They're all great. They all have uh, importance in our lives. Uh, but uh, of the Gospels that are printed and passed out, John is printed and passed out the most. We're going to go on a journey this calendar year, looking at this book verse by verse. That journey begins Right now, let's pray. God, help us to uh, just uh, do our best to appreciate who you are. Lord, I'm speaking to a group of folks, mostly if not all, who are believers. And uh, Lord, I, I believe have believe, uh, trusted in you for salvation. Lord, these verses have been uh, refreshing to me as I have studied them in preparation for this. May you Wash us with the water of your word this evening, and may we leave here cleansed and, uh, Lord, uh, more appreciative of who you are. Meet with us now. Challenge us from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the title of the message is Understanding Who Jesus Is, and in order for us to do that, uh, we need to hop right in to the text this evening. So, we're going to look at three principal thoughts out of the first half of chapter 1. Let's jump right in this evening. Number one, notice his title. His title. Uh, letter A, we see right out of John chapter 1 that Jesus is distinct. He is distinct. Notice that John 1 says he is with God. Look back with me at John chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. With God. Notice that word is capitalized. The W in word is capitalized. That means word is a proper noun. And a proper noun is a person, place, or thing. In this case, it is a person. Uh, whoever this word is clearly is divine. All the way back in the first chapter of the Bible, we find the divine being expressed as both singular and Plural. Let's take our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, and um, I hope you know where that is. That's the first chapter of the Bible. Amen? You don't have to flip through the middle of the Minor Prophets to find that one. John, or Genesis chapter 1, and look at verse number 26. Uh, Genesis 1 is the cre creation account uh, of uh, mankind, and we find here God having a conversation with Himself. Look at John, Genesis 1. Verse 26, the Bible says, and God, notice that is a singular word, God said, let us, that's plural, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God, singular, says let us, plural. So is God singular or plural? The answer is yes. Yes, alright. Turn over to Genesis chapter 11. I'm going to show you a couple of more examples in Scripture. This is not some anomaly or one-off. Uh, Genesis 11. I told you this is going to be a Bible study to open the, um, uh, the beginning of the message. And we'll get into preaching a little bit later. And so put your thinking caps on with me. This part of the message is aimed at your head. Look at Genesis 11. Look at verse uh, number 6. Here we find the story of the Tower of Babel. Notice the Bible says, and the Lord. And notice it's singular. Not lords, but Lord. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Look here, the Lord is speaking, go to let 
us, let us, that's plural, go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord, singular, scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth and they left off to build the city. And so we see that God, singular, is a plurality. He uh, is referred to with plural pronouns. Us, we, our. Turn over to Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah 6 and verse number 8. Uh, in the beginning was the Word. That's a person. He was with God, meaning distinct, accompanying God, but not, uh, not, uh, unified, rather not one with God, distinct from God. Uh, like we see in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, the Bible says, and I heard, this is Isaiah speaking, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, that singular, and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. So the Lord is speaking one to another, and God, singular, is saying, uh, whom shall I send, who will go for us? And so uh, we are monotheistic, monotheistic. That means mono meaning one, all right? Uh, monotheistic meaning God. We believe in one God. We believe there is one God, the God of heaven, Jehovah. However, monotheistic we are, we believe that God, singular, is made up of three beings. And you say, well, that makes no sense. And I'd say, if you stop and think about it for a moment, God is helping us with this all throughout the creation. There are groups of threes all over the creation, and none of the analogies I'm going to use are quite complete or going to quite help us completely grab this or understand it. If someone tells you that they can simply explain the Trinity, uh, they don't know the Trinity. The Trinity cannot be simply explained. There are a couple of, of, uh, of, of frail attempts to do so, and I'll throw some of these out here. Have you ever stopped to think that a molecule of water is made up of two-part hydrogen and one part oxygen. There's three uh, atoms that make up one molecule of water. Have you ever stopped to think that water exists in three states? You have liquid, solid, and gas. All three are distinct, but all three are yet water. Have you ever stopped to think that you are made in the image and likeness of God and you are three Wrapped in one. God has given you a body that is separate from your soul, that is separate from your spirit. You are three distinct things, but yet one. There are times where my body might hurt, but my spirit feels good. And so my spirit is happy, but my body is not happy. And those are, uh, yet both of those are me, but yet I am, uh, but yet they are distinct. They are me, but distinct from each other. How about an egg? You have the shell, the white, and the yolk, and you can separate those three things out, and you would point to the shell and say, what is that? And you'd say, that's an egg. And you'd point at the white and say, that's an egg. And you'd point at the yolk and say, that's an egg. All three are distinct but yet all three are an egg. And again, those do not totally explain uh, a monotheistic God being three separate entities, but you have God the Father, you have God the uh, Son, and you have God the Spirit. And people say, well, Pastor, 1 John 5, 7, your go-to, uh, that is not in my Bible. I'd say, well, you probably have the wrong Bible, or you do have the wrong Bible, and I believe 1 John 5, 7 should be in the Bible. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the the, the Word, and the Spirit. These three are one. Uh, but even if you were to take that verse away, uh, you can go through, and very as we will tonight, you can see how that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed God, and the Holy Spirit is indeed God. And so God is made up of three individual distinct beings, yet all three are one God. And so we see distinct, that Jesus distinctly is God. Letter B, we see divine, not only distinct with God, but divine was God, was God. Look back at John chapter 1. And verse 1. And if you don't know your way around the Bible real well, then just stay in John 1 because that's our principal text this evening. We'll be going back to John 1 all throughout the message. So look with me at verse number 1. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Look here. And the Word was God. Not only distinct, but divine. Divine. He was 
God. Now, that's a bold statement that John is going to spend the next several verses backing up with a whole lot of theology. And so buckle up because we're getting ready to go on a theological Ride. All right, here we go. Notice below divine, notice his eternality. Speaking of this word, uh, who is Jesus, and that's later revealed in the chapter, we'll see, uh, we see his eternality. Look back at John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Look at verse 2. The same was in the beginning with God. Whoever this word is, we know to be Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. His eternality. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. And you might as well just stick a little marker at Genesis 1, especially if you've got like a concordance and one of those pages where you write your family tree in and, you know, a place where you put your name and, and, uh, and all this stuff that comes. It, just skip past all that. Skip past the index. Put a marker at Genesis 1. We're going to be coming back here throughout the message. Look at Genesis 1. Now, again, His eternality, this Word, uh, Jesus, divine, uh, being God. Um, and we see uh, John says in verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God. Look at Genesis 1 and verse number 1. If you know it, you can quote it. If you're there, you can read it. Here we go. Everybody together. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning. Now we know that Jesus, the Bible says that He was in the beginning. Well, where was in the beginning? It was Genesis 1-1. When the world was created, Jesus was there. That's the first book of the Bible. How about the last book of the Bible? Revelation chapter number 1. Turn over there for me. Revelation 1, verse 7 and 8. And again, if you can't keep up, hold your place in John 1. And uh, let, let, uh, let those who know their way around the Bible... Uh, scurry, hurry over, and uh, don't feel pressured or rushed or frustrated. Revelation 1, look at me at verse number 7. The Bible says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, speaking of the crucifixion of Jesus, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, Even so, amen. Now, how many of you have a Bible with the words of Jesus in red? Would you raise your hand for me? Is the verse 8 red in your Bible? How many say yes? If it's not red, then you don't have a Bible with the words of Jesus in red, okay? Look at verse 8. Here we go. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come the Almighty. So John makes the claim that Jesus was in the beginning. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Jesus at the end of uh, time, He says, I am the beginning and the ending. You say, well, how old is Jesus? And the answer is, Jesus isn't in age. Jesus is uh, uh, lives outside of time. He is f- eternal forever, has been and always will be. Now, Jesus would uh, make the claim when disputing with the Pharisees in John eight fifty eight. Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was... I am. Before Abraham was, he, there, well, how old are you, Jesus? He said, I existed before Abraham existed because Jesus was from the beginning. We're only two verses into the book and John is telling us that Jesus is the eternal word. He is God and he is eternal. So we see his eternality. Notice his essence, his essence. Now, um, I didn't give you the scripture verses on your half sheet handout because I've got like 50 of them. And um, it wasn't all going to fit on one half sheet. So uh, we're going to spend, we're going to go quick. We're going to spend quite a bit of time looking at John 1 and seeing in just a few short verses all of the claims that John makes about Jesus being God, God in just a handful of verses. Go back to, uh, go back with me. Uh, to John 1, 1. We see His essence. We see He is the Word. He is the Word. What does that mean? Look at John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word 
was God. Look down at 14, 14, John 1, 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So whoever this Word is, He put Himself in flesh and He lived among man. And we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Turn over to 1 John chapter 1. You have the Gospel of John. Now turn over to the Epistle of John. That would be just a few books before the book of Revelation. Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. 1 John chapter 1 and look at verse number 1. It says, that which was, look here, from the beginning. There's that eternality, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, look here, of the Word of life. Of the Word of life. You know what John is saying here? We walked the earth with Jesus. We were His disciples. We looked upon Him. We handled Him. He is the Word of life. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is the Word? Is that just some title? No, no, no. The psalmist sure does uh, did know what, when he wrote in Psalm 138.2, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. Listen here. For thou hast magnified thy Word above all thy name. Uh, is that talking about the written Bible? Yes. It's also talking about how that God has elevated the name of Jesus above His own name. God the Father has elevated God the Son above His own name. How about Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, where the Bible says, "...and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Holy Bible is the written Word. We know the Holy Bible, that which you hold in your lap, is the written Word. Jesus Christ is the living Word. He was the living form of the Bible. Now, when uh, what kind of power does the Word have? We're told what kind of power the Word has in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. If you know it, say it with me. Ready? Here we go. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What kind of power does Jesus have? Well, He has enough power to divide asunder the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and the thoughts and intents of your heart. That's the power of the Word. And Jesus is divine. Not only was He with God, but He is God. He is God. John tells us He is the Word. Next notice, John claims that He is the Creator. He is the Creator. Look back with me at John chapter 1 and look at verse number 3. Now don't check out on me here. Uh, we're talking about the Savior of mankind. Amen? We're talking about how powerful uh, our, our King of kings and Lord of lords is. Look at John 1. Look at verse, things, all, uh, verse 3. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, who made the heaven and the earth? God did, but specifically, Jesus did. And I'm going to show you that from the Word of, of God here. Go back to Genesis 1. John tells us that all things, all things were made by the Word, by Jesus. And without Jesus was not anything made that was made. We know that God is the one that created the heaven and the earth, but specifically Jesus created the heaven and the earth. Go back to Genesis 1. Look at verse number 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, John, we'll look at this a little bit later, but Jesus would claim in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. The light of the world. Who created the heaven and the earth? Jesus did. 
um, there's a reason why John 1, 1 through 3, and Genesis 1, 1 through 3 sound the same. That's on purpose. John is opening with a very bold claim. He's wording his gospel to open, or he's, he's worded his gospel to open the same way that the Bible itself opens in Genesis chapter number 1. John is telling us that Jesus is God. John is telling us that Jesus created the heaven and the earth. Consider what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 9. He wrote, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. All things were made by Jesus Christ. So God the Father worked through God the Son to be the one hands on with the creation of the heaven and the earth. So He is the Word. He is the Creator. Next, notice the claim John makes in John 1. He is the life. He is the life. Go back to John 1 and look with me at verse number 4. Look here. In Him was... What's that next word? In Him was life. In the life was the light of men. Turn your Bibles to John chapter number 10. John chapter 10. Jesus is life. He is life. In fact, you would not be sitting here right now breathing if Jesus had not given you life. He epitomizes. He is life. He's not a metaphor for life. He is life. Look at John 10. Look at verse 28. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my Hand. So, I give unto them eternal life. Go over one chapter to John chapter 11 and look at verse number 25. John 11, look at verse number 25. Jesus saith unto her, he's speaking here to, let's see, to Martha. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father uh, excuse me, I'm not looking at my Bible and I'm misquoting the Scriptures here. I am the resurrection of the He that believeth in me, there it is, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? What was Jesus' claim? Not only did John make the claim that Jesus is life, uh, Jesus Himself made the claim, I am life. I give life and I give it more abundantly go back to John 1 we see not only is he the word and is he the creator and is he life we see he is the light the light look at John 1 4 and we're going to read down through verse number 11 it says there in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehendeth it not there was a man sent from God whose name was John now this was something I did not notice before studying for this message look at 7 the same came uh, for a witness to bear witness of notice the uh, notice that the L in light beginning in verse 7 is capitalized again a proper noun bear witness of The light, that's a name, that's a title, that's a person that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, again, capital L, but uh, was sent to bear witness of that light. There was That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Now, I spent quite a bit of time looking at this passage. I think it was three weeks ago on a Sunday morning, and so we won't re-preach that message, but the world lived in darkness because of sin, and Jesus came and was born uh, amongst us, and He was the light sent from heaven to show us the way, but people had become so used to their darkness that they did not want this light present in their life. They loved their darkness because their deeds were evil. Look at John chapter 8, and look at verse number 12. Turn over to John 8. And verse number 12. Then spake Jesus again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, look here, but shall have the light of life. Now, this is really, this is really great because I'm about to pull creation, light, and life, those three descriptors, I'm about to pull them all together into one here. Okay, so 
the sun, that big ball of energy in the sky, I was going to give it a color, but that is just a perceived color from what I understand. All right, I don't know what the actual color of it is. But that big ball of energy out there in the sky, the sun, is what gives life to us here on earth. Okay, So we get our energy from food. Our food comes as a result of what grows out of the ground. You say, I don't eat fruits and vegetables, I eat beef. Okay, well, the beef that you eat had to eat stuff that came out of the ground. You understand? If, if you don't have fruits and vegetables coming out of the ground, the cow would have not lived long enough for you to be able to eat him. You with me here? Okay? And so when you eat food, you are eating sunlight. You with me? Indirectly, you're eating sunlight. So, the sun creates to give food so that you have life. Light brings creation that brings life. Jesus is our creation that brings light that gives us life. Jesus is the light of life. He is the light of of life. And so, uh, back in Genesis chapter 1 verse 3, we are introduced to light, and through this light, we have life. Jesus is the light that gives all of us our life. Again, John's claim is that Jesus of Nazareth is God. He is laying out a theologically thick explanation for why this is true. The essence of Jesus? Well, He is the Word, the Creator, the life. The light. How about this one? Go back to John 1 and verse 12. We see He is the kinsman redeemer. He is the kinsman redeemer. Oh, this is good right here. Look at 12. We're going to read 12 and 13. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power, look here, to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, take your Bible over to Genesis chapter 3, if you can. Hold your place in John 1. Genesis 3. While you're turning there, the purpose of Jesus' life was to provide peace with God and an entrance point for us to be eternally adopted into God's family. So, to those who believe, they enter in through the door of adoption into the family of God. So, we're exiled because of sin, we're separated from God because of our sin, and Jesus came in order to provide peace with God and an adoption into the family of uh, of heaven, uh, the family of God. So, way, way back in the Garden of Eden, when God lost His prized creation to the sin curse, God told the serpent that had tempted Eve and Adam, He said that one day that God said He would redeem mankind and crush the serpent's head. Look at Genesis 3. Look at verse number 15. Notice here, God is speaking to the serpent. He said, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, when did Satan bruise Eve's heel? Satan bruised Eve's heel when Satan tempted Eve to eat that fruit, uh, uh, persuaded her to eat that fruit, and that hurled humanity, when Eve and then Adam did it, it hurled humanity into a sin condemnation, a sin curse. We had the condemnation or the damnation of God brought upon us and an eternity bound and sent to hell because God's hatred of our sin. And God told the serpent way back then, He said, you have bruised her heel, but one day that uh, heel is going to crush your head. When did that happen? When Jesus died on the cross, Jesus, the Son of of Adam. He died on the cross. He crushed the head of the serpent because he offered redemption to humanity back into heaven. So, um, uh, turn your Bibles over to John chapter 3 and let's look at the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. God went through great trouble to buy us back, to redeem us back, and make us his children. John chapter 3. And look at verse 16. Let's read it together. Ready? Here we go. For God so loved the world 
that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How much did God love humanity? He loved us enough to take His only begotten Son and send Him down here incarnate form. Incarnate, okay? Incarnate. Carne is the Spanish word for flesh, alright? You have chile con carne, that's chili with, with meat, chili with flesh. Incarnate is the robing, the wrapping of flesh of God on earth. Jesus came down incarnate. He was made flesh and dwelt among us. Why would God leave heaven where He had everything perfect and come down to be born and live amongst us? He Listen, He wasn't born in some rich family. He was born and laid in a cattle's feeding trough. He was born to simple peasants. He was raised in Nazareth. Later, Nathaniel would say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he would be uh, raised in Nazareth. He, he would uh, grow up and be homeless. He would be poor in every way. But yet, this Jesus of Nazareth, as poor as he was, would leave the riches of heaven to live this lifestyle. Why? To die on a cross and suffer our sin and go through hell satisfy the wrath and justice of God and offer to us eternal life. You see, sin cursed humanity when it bit the heel of Eve. Jesus came to redeem mankind and crush the head of the serpent. Consider Galatians 4, 5, where the Bible says to redeem them that were under the law. Listen here. That we might receive the adoption of sons. What does it mean to be a kinsman redeemer? A kinsman redeemer. Well, those two words, okay, think of a kinsman, that's someone who you would be related to. And to redeem is to buy back uh, something that is lost, okay? To redeem is to take something that's in peril or something that is uh, no longer of value and to bring it back into good standing or of great value. So back in Bible times... Let's say you had a man and woman who married. And again, we're going back not only to Bible times, but also into the culture of that day. You have a man and woman who marries each other, and before they can have babies, the man dies. Maybe he dies in war, maybe he dies at work, but all the same, maybe he dies of some medical condition. He leaves the wife widowed and childless. Back in Bible times, the process there was that the next to kin... Uh, had right first to marry that woman. And so let's say that you had a brother, who uh, a man who had three brothers, and he married a woman and he died before he could give her any children. The next in line was expected to marry her and have a baby with her, and the baby would be given credit to uh, the man who passed away. And so uh, you would redeem that woman from being childless or a barren womb. And so that's the idea of being a kinsman redeemer. There's no greater example of this in the Bible than the story of Ruth the Moabitess and the Moabite. And you may remember that uh, uh, Malon and Chilion went with Elimelech, their father, into the land of Moab because they were running from a famine in Bethlehem. They arrived there in Moab and Malon and Chilion marry Orpah and Ruth. And then uh, before either one of them can have a child with their wife, they both die, and then Elimelech dies, the dad. And so Naomi, the mom, looks at her daughter-in-laws and says, Go home. I have nothing uh, to do with you. I came here full. I'm leaving empty. I'm not uh, Naomi. I am Mara, meaning bitter. And so uh, she's going to go back to Bethlehem empty. And um, Orpah goes home to her parents. And Ruth says, No, you know, I'm not going home where you go. I'm going to go where you sleep. I'm going to sleep. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And Ruth uh, said, I'm going to stick by your side. And so back to Bethlehem they go. Now, uh, Ruth is not related to anybody in town. Not really anybody in town. But Naomi is. And uh, the law left room provision for women who did not have food. In fact, if you were a farmer, you were to leave the corners of your field um, left unharvested and so that those who did not have could come and glean the corners of the field and take that home to have something to eat. And they also could walk around and pick up anything that had fallen on the ground. Well, um, Ruth was a pretty girl and Boaz took notice of Ruth. Boaz was the owner 
of this field and took notice of her and told the men uh, that worked for him, said, leave a, drop, just drop a little bit more of that, uh, uh, that harvest on the ground so she can pick that up. And so sure enough, I mean, she's coming back with food at a level that none of the other girls perusing this field are coming back with. And, and Ruth, uh, or rather Naomi, says to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, she says, where are you getting all this food? And she says, well, I, I don't know. I've been going to Boaz's field, and I've just been doing well for myself. And, and uh, Naomi looks at Ruth and says, I think, I think he's interested in you. I think there's a little romance starting up here. I think you've caught his eye. And so through a process that's very weird and Hebrew cultured and whatever, um, they, uh, they um, uh, unite with each other and decide that uh, they want to get married. There's only one problem. There was a living relative. Now, Boaz is related to Naomi, but there was a living relative uh, who was single, who was closer to uh, Malon and Chilion than Boaz. And so Boaz goes to this relative and says, I would like to be the kinsman redeemer and raise up children for Malon or Chilion. And so a ceremony is had. This relative in between agrees to let Boaz marry Ruth. And so Boaz and Ruth have a child together and lay that child in the, in the bosom of Naomi, the mother-in-law, the grandmother, the very proud grandmother. And Ruth has been redeemed by the kinsman. Her life has been given purpose again. And uh, that child they had would be named Obed. Obed uh, would have a child named Jesse, and Jesse would have a child named David. You have this girl from Moab who is not a Jew, who ends up being the great-grandmother of King David. That's what we call redemption. Now, how does that tie back in to our passage in John 1 with Jesus? Jesus looked down and saw us much like Boaz saw Ruth. Lost and destitute, and strangers in a foreign land, the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus came down, and He paid the tribute, or the price of our sin, and bought the rights to make us His bride, so that we could be citizens of heaven. We could become the children of God, because we have received Him. You know, the thing about the story of, of Boaz and Ruth is that Ruth had a choice. She could have said, no, I'm not interested in you, Boaz. I don't want anything to do with that. I'm going to just live as a widowed woman and, and just uh, continue to scrounge fields to get by. But no, she left the poverty of widowhood and agreed to marry this rich, wealthy man who was a uh, farmer. And, and he married her, and as a result, she was redeemed. You know, uh, uh, if you're here tonight and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ alone, He's already paid the cost of your sin up on the cross. All He's waiting for you to do is agree to let Him redeem your soul and make you a child of God. You do that by faith. The essence of Jesus. He is the Word, the Creator, the life, the light, the kinsman redeemer. Notice He is the glory of God. He is the glory of God. Look at John chapter 1 with me in verse number 14. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Look here. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is the pride and joy. He is the glory of God the Father. Why did Jesus come down to be born among us? He came down to be born among us because you and I fall short of God's glory. Who is God's glory? Well, it's Jesus. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of what? The glory of God. Who is the glory of God? It's Jesus. Jesus was perfect. All of us fall short of that perfection. He is the glory of God. Now, in just 14 short verses, John makes some very bold claims about who Jesus is. Now watch this. His comparisons are not metaphors. They are truth. Jesus isn't just metaphorically the Creator. Jesus is your Creator. 
He's not metaphorically the Word. Jesus is the Word of God. He's not metaphorically the light. He is the light. The light. The kinsman redeemer and the glory of God. Number one, we see Jesus' title. Number two, notice our tabernacle. Our tabernacle. John 1, look at 14. We're going to read down through 18. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of Him and cried, saying, This was He of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for He was before me, and of His fullness uh, have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, uh, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is... Uh, In the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. So, quickly, what is a tabernacle? A tabernacle, if you remember back to the Old Testament, with the tent that Moses had constructed that could be easily put up and taken down and moved to another location. A tabernacle is a mobile structure where God dwelled among His people. Neat little factoid here is that God had the Israelites walk through the wilderness in the shape of a cross and at the uh, center of where those two, uh, uh, th- those two groups of people, uh, the perpendicular met, the tabernacle sat right there. It would have been right there at the the T of the cross. That's where the tabernacle was. And so you stop and think about that. That's where God dwelled among His people. He dwelled in this temporary tent that moved from location to location. So Jesus physically came and temporarily dwelled among us and gave people the opportunity to behold the glory of God. Letter A, we see His presence. His presence. Presence Again, verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, you may remember Moses going up into Mount Sinai and spending time with God uh, where he would get the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. And when he came down out of the mountain, you remember his face Glowed, it shined. His visage, his 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 countenance was so bright that he had to wear a veil or a covering over his face because people looked at the face of Moses and they were blinded by uh, the change of his countenance. And uh, he had been so close to God that his countenance had changed. And the disciples that walked with Jesus for three and a half years, they got to eat. Drink, sleep next to, walk alongside of, and touch and handle the God who created the universe. Again, 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, John said, uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have touched, have handled of the word of life. In the Old Testament, God the Father was the main part of the Trinity to interact with man. So, the first 39 books of the Bible under the Old Covenant or Testament, God the Father was the main part of the Trinity to vocally and verbally interact with man. And then you enter the New Testament and the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, God the Son was the part of the Trinity to interact predominantly with man. And then you get to the church age. We're in the church age now. God the Holy Spirit is the main part of the Trinity that interacts with man. Now, notice that back in John chapter 1, John is speaking here of the time that Jesus walked the earth. Notice that it was temporary. The flesh of Jesus provided a tabernacle for the presence of God to be physically experienced. We physically, uh, mankind physically experienced the indwelling of God among us. His presence, letter B, notice His preeminence. His preeminence. Look with me at verse 15. John bare witness of Him and cried, saying, This was He of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. Look down at verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So, for the Jews, there was no greater prophet than Moses. By the way, turn your Bibles over to uh, Hebrews chapter 3. Turn over to Hebrews 3. I'm going to show you something here. Moses was the pinnacle of greatness in the Jewish religion. Moses had given them the law. Moses had led them out of Egypt and across the wilderness and died right before they entered into their promised land. It was Moses, Moses, Moses. We saw out of Matthew 23 the desire to sit in Moses' seat this morning and uh, saw this morning. And so we have here um, uh, the, the preeminence of Jesus 
the Bible, John is claiming that Jesus even exceeds the greatness of Moses. Verse 18 of John 1 says, No man hath seen God any time. The only begotten Son, who, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared it. Look at Hebrews 3, and we're going to read the first six verses here. Notice the claim made back to the Jewish people that Jesus is greater than Moses. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling... Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, which was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he which hath built the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God and Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant uh, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, uh, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm unto the end. Uh, what made Jesus greater? Moses was not God. Let's just start there. Moses was not God. Jesus is God. Alright? That by itself makes Jesus greater, but beyond that, Moses gave truth, Jesus gave grace and truth. Moses' law condemned, Jesus' grace lifted that condemnation. So we see his preeminence, letter C, notice his purpose, his purpose. Look at John 1 and look at verse 16. Uh, we see here the purpose of Jesus and of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I read this, I immediately think of Matthew 5.17. Think not, Jesus said, that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, I want to just show you how crafty Satan is. You listening? Let's take this topic of uh, same-sex relationships saw an individual who um, claims to be a pastor, claims to be a pastor, I was actually told about this, but claims to be a pastor who is in a same-sex relationship. And here's how he justifies it. You see, in the Old Testament law, this was condemned. But then Jesus came along and he brought grace and the law no longer matters and Jesus has a different standard. And now the Holy Spirit comes along and he's the one that guides us into all truth. And so the law is disjointed from Jesus, which is disjointed from the Holy Spirit. Oh, whoa, hold on just a minute here. Jesus did not come to do away with truth. He did not come to deal away with the law. Jesus said, I did not come to just be grace. I came to be grace and truth. Uh, the truth condemns. The law is our schoolmaster and shows us where we fall short. Uh, God the Father in the Old Testament is marked as mercy and truth. Or uh, just a forgiveness and truth. Jesus is marked with grace and truth. The unmerited riches of Christ poured down upon us. Jesus said, I did not come to do away with the law. I came to give you grace to lift the condemnation so that you could experience the riches in heaven forever and ever. Now, I, I find this fascinating. Uh, here's some sentences that maybe will make you smile a little bit. And if you can, if you can remember these, write them down quickly. The Old Testament begins with man made in the image of God. The New Testament begins with God made in the image of man. See that? How about this one? The Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men might become the sons of God. One more for you here. The Old Testament had sheep dying for shepherds. The New Testament had the shepherd dying for the sheep. Why did Jesus come? What was His purpose? To set us free from the condemnation of sin. Alright, let's get into the last point of the message here. Let's look at number three, John's testimony. John's testimony. Now, one distinction that needs to be made. Brother Owens, that water drink was not very smooth. All right? I, I didn't nail that one that time. Okay? Brother Owens likes to pick on me. for I get you to look down a diversion while I drink. That one wasn't so smooth. One distinction here that needs to be made. The John who's writing the gospel is not John the Baptist in chapter 1. Okay? So in John 1, we find John the Baptist... 
And uh, the author of the book of John was John the Beloved or the disciple of Jesus. I just want to make that distinction here. And John 1 is talking about John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. You find him in the book of Matthew, the cousin of Jesus who was the forerunner uh, to Jesus. All right. So we're going to look at John the Baptist here just quickly. Notice letter A, notice his mission. His mission. I've given you a lot of theology tonight. For some of you, maybe that all went right over your head or uh, you couldn't quite keep up. Let's look at 19 and let me get very practical with this tonight. Look at verse 19. And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests, John the Baptist sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I'm not the promised one. I'm not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Okay, art thou the prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? Now before we read verse 23, John the Baptist is out here preaching up a storm. He lives in the wilderness he, he, he wears odd clothes. He eats locusts and wild uh, honey. And uh, he's just an odd, strange guy. And he comes in uh, and he just starts preaching up a storm. He's water baptizing people. And um, he's just this, this religious kook, as the Jews see it, who's just an outsider. And so he's got this big following. And so the organized religious crowd, they send folks to question him. And they say, hey, who are you? Are, are you? are you the Christ? Nope, not the Christ. Are you Elijah? Nope, I'm not Elijah. Are you one of the prophets? Nope, I'm not a, not a prophet. Notice he's not offering them an answer. They keep asking and he just keeps denying. So then they just come right out with it. Look at 23. What sayest thou of thyself? 22. Look at 23. Here's his answer. He said, look here, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as saith the prophet Isaiah. I am a voice. I am a voice. John's duty was to be the forerunner for the Messiah. I am a a voice. I am a voice. What was his mission? His mission was to be a voice. Now here's where we're going to get to the last point of the sermon. And I'm going to bring it home to where you live. Right here. Look at letter B. Notice his message. His message. Okay, John. You're not the Christ. You're not, you don't claim to be Elijah. We're not going to get into that theological debate tonight. Uh, we're not, uh, you're not the prophets. Who are you? He says, I am a voice. Okay, what is your message, Mr. Voice? Look at 23. He saith, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as saith the prophet Isaiah. Uh, and they uh, which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not the Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? Uh, John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you, whom ye know not. He it is, who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it. I am not worthy to unloose. I can't even untie the guy's shoe. That's how great he is. 28. These things were done in uh, Bethabara beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, the word voice is the word phono or phone. It is the same root word which we get phonograph. Phonograph. Uh, which was the forerunner, right, to our amplifier. It is the idea of being an amplifier, an amplifier. John said, listen, I'm not this person and I'm not that person. I am no one important. He said, let me simply tell you, I am a voice. I am a voice that cries out in the wilderness. I'm a voice that cries out that Messiah, the promised one, has come to save His people 
from their sins. Yes, John, but you are eccentric. Yes, John, but you are strange. You baptize people, uh, that makes your methods strange and odd. You wear strange clothes. You eat strange things. John said, I am not defined by what I wear or where I sleep. I'm not defined by any of these things. I am simply a voice declaring the Lamb of God has taken away the sins of the world. You know what God has called me and you to be today? He's not called me or you to be anything great. He's not called me or you to uh, uh, have some fancy title or wear some fancy clothes or be able to articulate something some fancy way. God has called you to be a voice, to cry out in the wilderness that Jesus, the life, the light, the kinsman redeemer, all those attributes we described, the eternal one, the word of God, He is the life and light of man. We have taken the last 45 minutes to highlight just how great Jesus is. But here's what I want to ask you this evening. What does it matter if you don't tell others around you about who Jesus is? John said, hey, listen, Jesus is here. He's a great man. He said, but it does not matter unless the Word gets out. Who are you, John? I am a voice. I want to ask you a question tonight. Are you a voice? Or has Satan stolen your spiritual vocal cords? Are you busy proclaiming and telling Jesus came, He died, He rose again, He wants to save your soul from an eternity in hell. Uh, lift up Christ and, and, and put Him high because people will be saved as you do so. Turn over to John 3 and we'll finish the sermon here. Look at John 3 and verse 30. If someone were to say, Pastor Lejeune, what is your favorite or what is the verse that you would call your life verse? I tell people it's John chapter 3 and verse 30. Here it is. Read it with me. Ready? He must increase, but I must decrease. That's John speaking there. John the Baptist. John said, when it comes to my voice, I must decrease. He must increase. Many Christians... Do not speak of Christ because they are too busy amplifying themselves. We don't have time to talk about Jesus because I am more important than the message of Christ. Now you may not word it that way, but if we're honest with ourselves, we don't share Jesus with the world around us because we have our own image to protect. We have our own insecurities to hide. John said, I was born for one purpose. For Jesus to increase. And for me to decrease. If we meet and you forget my name, and forget who I am, You've lost nothing. But if we meet and you forget who Jesus is, you have lost everything. I want you to ask yourself this question this evening. Are you someone who is a phonograph, an amplifier, a voice to declare who Jesus is? Or are you too busy promoting yourself to think, to stop to think, to promote the name of Jesus. We've been called to be a voice, an amplifier. People live in the wilderness. They need salvation. Jesus came. He lived. He died. He rose again. He offers life. But we must get the Word out. Are you a voice crying in the wilderness? Heads bowed. Eyes closed. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Tonight, I want you to evaluate your own heart, your own life. Do you carry gospel tracts with you? Do you distribute those everywhere you go? Are you quick to find someone who's willing to listen to the gospel? Do you tell people about Jesus? When was the last time that you shed a tear 
over a lost soul. What defines you? Is it your family? Is it your work? Is it your social media presence? What defines you? If the very first thing on that list is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, then my friend, your priorities are out of order. Are you a voice that cries out in the wilderness? Oh, we spent quite a bit of time tonight highlighting who Jesus is. But what does it matter if the world never hears? Lord, tonight, would you convict our hearts? Would you help us to be people who are quick to have the gospel on our lips and into the ears of anyone and everyone who will listen? We sing the song, Jesus Saves. Help us to go forth and live our lives as though we actually believe it. Stir us tonight, Lord. Help us to leave here changed. More fervent with the gospel than ever before. In Jesus' name.